Good morning. My name is Nicole Fitz. Please follow along with me as we read God's word from the book of James, chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. James, chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with the oil in in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. May God bless the reading of his word. We're focusing this morning on prayer. We've been focusing on prayer over the last uh, several weeks because as we think about the transition time, it's a time of, uh, where we bathe it in prayer, and as the, even this morning as we talked about the transition team, and I'd encourage you in your own private time to continue to lift up the, the transition team in prayer. Uh, it's a significant time in the life of the church, uh, and we know that God is able to do some very exciting things, and so we just commit the, the time to the Lord. And there's a portion of scripture in James uh, that Nicole read for us that focuses uh, the attention uh, on prayer. The theme of the book of James is really about authentic Christian living, uh, living out our faith, where where we simply don't say, well, I believe, but my belief has transformed me into the kinds of the things that I do. And one of the things that uh, happens if we really are committed to the Lord is that he begins to challenge us to be involved in prayer. And the verses that we are looking at this morning from chapter 5 of of James uh, talk about prayer. But that's already hinted at in the beginning of the text. Uh, James, back in the first chapter, verse 5, said, If any of you lack wisdom, uh, he should ask God. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 3, he says, you do not have because you do not ask God. And so the theme of of prayer is threaded throughout the the epistle itself. And in the text that we're looking at this morning, in each of the verses, the concept of prayer is listed. There are seven references to prayer in these verses. The church historian Eusebius Uh, shares in his history that there was an ancient ancient tradition that James, who wrote this epistle, spent so much time on his knees in prayer that his knees became, as they said, hard as camel knees. So James was not only writing about prayer, but he evidently had the reputation uh, in the early church as being a man of prayer. Often as you look at this text, the focus is on verse 14, where the text says, 
If any of us, any one of you is sick, he should call for the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And so very quickly, the focus becomes the issue of, of healing for sickness. And so many people spend a lot of time discussing this text in the context of healing. But I think that's to miss the main point of the text. There are a lot of interpretive questions that are raised by this text. For example, when it says, if you're in trouble, call, uh, you, should, uh, you should pray. What kind of trouble is involved there? And then when it talks about sickness, what kind of sickness is involved in this 14th verse where he says, if you're sick, you ought to call for the elders and have them pray over you. And then why prayer for, of the elders? Uh, what's the significance of that? And then what about all this anointing with oil? What's that all about? And then how does sickness relate to sin? Because there's a connection there where he talks about uh, the con we confess our sins uh, as well. And then what type of healing is he talking about here when he talks about healing? All of these kind of swirl around as you work through the pa passage. And we'll, we'll work through those this morning and perhaps answer those as we move along. But let me submit to you that the focus of this text is on prayer. Uh, it's the theme that ties it all together. Prayer is the key to authentic Christian living. And we can look at this from three different perspectives. First of all, the elements that are involved in prayer, and then some examples of prayer, and then the effectiveness of prayer. So we'll begin by looking at the elements of prayer themselves. It begins with three, the text begins with three parallel phrases where there's a question followed by a word of encouragement or instruction. So the first question is, any one of you in trouble? The next question is, any one of you sick? And then the third one talks about the fact that uh, if any of you are sick, you should call for the elders. He lays out for us by these three parallel statements, a question followed by an encouragement, when to pray, and then the elements of prayer. So the first one is, is any one of you in trouble? They should pray, verse 13. He speaks of here of supplication. Is anyone in trouble? They should pray. Prayer begins on a very, very personal level. When we are discouraged or lose heart, or our immediate response ought to be to talk to God about it. I'm not so sure that that's often the way we think of things. We sometimes think about a lot of other ways of dealing with our troubles rather than prayer. But James says, when you're in trouble, pray. What kind of trouble? It's interesting that the Greek word is kakopathio, which is pathology, is the end of it. Uh, that's the same verse, uh, word that is used in verse 10. If you flip back to chapter 5, verse 10, it says, Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, there's the word. It's the same word that is used in uh, our verse 13 of trouble. If any of you... Uh, have faced suffering, 
Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. There's a similar theme that goes through here, the idea of suffering, having difficulty, having hardship. And the word that is used is uh, often used of, of sickness. Uh, in, for example, uh, in various places it's used of sickness. And uh, then it's also sometimes used of just a general kind of trouble. The psalmist says, in one, Psalm 142.2, I pour out my complaints before him. I tell my, I tell my trouble to him. Psalm 88 verses 1 and 2 says, O Lord my God, I call for help by day. I cry out in the night before you. Let my prayers come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. What kind of trouble do we face? Any kind of trouble, whether it be discouragement, uh, whether it be sickness, whether it be hardship, the first thing that comes to our mind would be, let's go to our knees. Let's su submit it to the Lord. Ian Bounds says in his little book, only those who pray are religious. It takes full measured people to pray. Many of you, I suppose, grew up with the old hymn, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. And then it talks about taking everything to the Lord in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And as we come to the Lord with the issues that we are facing, and we begin to pour those out to the Lord, he begins to respond and he begins to give us a sense of what his plan and his purpose is. And it becomes clear to us why some of these things are happening. And we begin to change our attitudes as we come to the Lord in prayer. And so supplication, one-on-one -on -one with the Lord, laying before him whatever it is that's troubling us at the current time. If anyone is in trouble here this morning, let me say to you, the first thing to do is to take it to the Lord. Take your troubles to the Lord. And then he moves on, and the second question is, is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Now, the concept of prayer is not specifically mentioned, but there's a kind of the parallel structure would lead us to assume that he is still talking about the concept of prayer. The song of praise is to be sung unto the Lord. The psalmist says, let all the joys of the godly well up in praise to the Lord for it is right to praise him. And prayer is an appropriate place to express our thanks and our praise to God. When we're in the dark valley, we cry out to him. When we are on the bright side of the mountaintops, we express our thanks and our praise to God. At any one time in our life, we are in one state or the other. Either we're in trouble or we're not. And if we're not in trouble, we are praising God that we're not. And the scriptures here essentially say, praising God is a part of our prayer. 
Praising God may well be called incense in the scriptures because it is uh, sweet in itself and sweet to God. So its sweetness comes from us and is lifted up to God. Music can be an integral part of prayer. Music as a way of expressing thanks and praise is said to be a part of our experience. Ephesians 5.19 says, Sing and make a melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks to the Lord in everything. Gratitude. Rejoicing the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. So as we come before the Lord, we come with our cares and our concerns, but we also come to him when we see how much he has blessed us and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. And we sing praise to him. I would encourage you, if you're thinking about praying, to dig out your hymn book. Find some of those hymns of praise and and read those hymns as an expression of prayer or thanks to the Lord. Uh, It'll do something to to your heart to do that kind of thing. The third question question is anyone sick? They should call the elders of the church to pray over him and to anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Verse 14. You break this up a little bit because he gives us a lot of information about what intercession is all about. First of all, it's communal. In contrast to the previous elements, this element cannot be done personally. This one involves two parties, each charged with a specific responsibility. One must call. There's an assumption, on the other hand, of a community. Elders represent that community. Corporate faith is the foundation of intercession. Further on in the text, uh, we are instructed to confess to one another. Another focus on reciprocal, where there are two parties that are involved. It reflects this idea of a community. And it reflects the idea that it's a kind of community which is open open to sharing and praying and in relationship with one another where we can be transparent and open enough so that we can begin to share. Verse 13 is, anyone among you suffering? That assumes that the community is open and transparent enough that we can share the deep concerns with one another. All of us at one time or another can be either up or down. And if we're down, we need somebody to share that with. Are we open and transparent enough that we can pray for one another because we know what the needs are? So intercession assumes the idea of a community that's involved in praying for one another, sharing and praying for one another. Secondly, it's comprehensive. The debate that swirls around the text often centers on whether or not James is addressing physical healing, or something else. There are two Greek words that are used to refer to this sickness. In verse 14, uh, the word is used uh, which refers to physical sickness. It's used, for example, in John's gospel of the centurion who brought his sick son. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20, Paul writes, I left Trophimus sick in Miletus, and it's the very same word. It's also used, however, in a broader sense of powerlessness. For example, in Romans chapter 8, verse 3, Paul is referring to
to the weakness of our sinful nature. And there he's talking, uses the word that's used here and is translated weakness. Also used for moral weakness. In Romans chapter 14, 1 Corinthians 8, Paul uses it to refer to the weaker brother. In other words, someone who is weak in faith because they're uh, concerned about meat offered, offered to idols. The second word that's used in the text in verse 15, where it says uh, that it makes the sick person well, is not used very often in the New Testament. But it means simply someone who is weary or fatigued or worn out. It's never used strictly of physical sickness. So essentially what we're looking at is the idea that it may be physical, but it might also be emotional or spiritual. It might be spiritual weakness. Uh, there's a variety of things that could be involved when it says sickness here. One of the other factors that needs to be considered as we determine what the text is talking about is the very next phrase where he says, if uh, he, anyone has sinned, he will be forgiven. The introduction of sin into the discussion leads us to believe that we cannot limit the text only to physical healing. And also in verse 16, he talks about the fact that confession brings healing. We in our Western society are so committed to a biological understanding of sickness and disease that we sometimes ignore the power of emotional and spiritual issues to affect us physically. And we need to recover a balanced understanding of health. Dr. Charles Mayo, who was the founder of the Mayo Clinic, estimated in his day that spiritual and psychological elements in illnesses accounted to between 65 and 75% of the cases. We cannot adequately deal with health without also recognizing our relationship with our Creator. When we are out of sorts with our Creator and have experienced the stress and the dysfunction that comes into our life as a result of that, we need to address that. We should not pray for physical health alone without also addressing a person's spiritual well-being, which comes as a result of guilt, anger, bitterness that takes their physical toll. And so it is comprehensive when we talk about prayer and intercession. There's nothing that we can't share with one another that is, is beyond the bounds of prayer and intercession. And then it's confident. The prayer offered in faith, he says, will make the person well. We need to recognize that we come with confidence knowing that the Lord hears us and that he will answer according to his will. And we acknowledge that God is able to answer our prayers. I remember someone said that, uh, well, you know, answers to prayer are just coincidences. And the fellow said, yeah, but there are a lot more coincidences when I pray. <laughs> uh, we recognize that God is a, pr uh, a prayer answering God. And then uh, finally, it is compassionate. In intercession is compassionate. I think that's the significance of what he talks about anointing with oil. What kind of oil? For what purpose? 
It reminds me, uh, I had a wedding where I, they wanted to be anointed with oil. And uh, so I got a, don't do that very often, but I had got a vial of oil and poured it on the bride and groom's head and it started rolling, running down on their face and it was a big, greasy mess. <laughs> and my wife said, you got to figure out a better way of doing that. Uh, the two, there's two possible uh, words for anointing in the Bible. Uh, the word used here uh, is, uh, according to Richard Trent in his book on synonyms, the one speaks of just basically a profane or smearing of oil. Uh, the other one refers to more of a sacred uh, religious anointing, a symbolic anointing. And it's been suggested by several scholars that the word used here has some sort of a medicinal implication. Others believe that it has more of a religious significance in that the oil is a symbol of the presence and work of the Holy Spirit and that we are talking about uh, the, the work of the Holy Spirit. Psalm 23, thou anointest my head with oil. The whole of the Psalm 23 is dealing with God's comfort and God's care for us and the anointing with oil on the head and the cup running over is expression of God's uh, care. So it's both symbolic, I think, and therapeutic in nature. In the Old Testament, they anointed the king who was to be set apart for the Lord. So there's a kind of a combination here of caring enough so that not only do we pray, but if the person needs a back rub and gives, you need some help in that way, we do those kinds of things. So it's a combination. It's a holistic kind of thing that James is talking about here when he says that the uh, elders on behalf of the congregation express that. Finally, as you look at the text, there's the fourth kind of element of prayer, and that is confession. It says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. We as a congregation, as individuals, pray uh, as repentant sinners asking for God's comprehensive healing in our lives. How do we handle words from our brother and sisters when they mess up? Are we a fellowship where it is safe to let others know that we don't have it all together? That we are discouraged, feeling defeated, or are we a congregation where we, everyone pretends that everything is just fine? If we're going to be a healing congregation, a congregation where it really expresses what prayer is all about, part of that is going to be our willingness to ask our brothers and sisters to pray when we are struggling with things in our lives. Bonhoeffer says, since confession of sin is made in the presence of our Christian brothers and sisters, it is the last stronghold of self justification. Oswald Sanders said, until known sin is judged and renounced, we pray and plead in vain. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me, the scriptures say. So, so James gives us these four elements, supplication, adoration, intercession, confession. That's what composes our prayer time. And then he moves to a very interesting illustration or example. Verse 17, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain 
on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. It's rather interesting that he uses Elijah. Elijah was well known to the people that James would have been speaking to. But he adds this one statement where he says, Elijah is a man just like us. And if you know the life of Elijah, you know that he had his ups and downs. You remember when uh, he felt like he was abandoned and that Ahab and Jezebel were after him? He ran away and hid, and the Lord had to speak to him, and he uh, said, what are you doing here? And he says, well, I am the only one left who's, you know, a prophet and faithful to you, and I'm, you know, he gives his sob sorry to the Lord, and the Lord says, there are over 50 other prophets uh, in the land of Israel. But Elijah's like us, and that's what he brings out. He's He's wanting us to understand that although Elijah was very strong in prayer and was able to confront Ahab and cause it not to rain and then to rain, he is a man just like us. He prayed and God responded. Throughout the scriptures, there are a variety of places where the people of God prayed and God heard their prayers. Acts chapter 12, Peter is imprisoned. And it says in Acts chapter 12 that the church was gathered in a home and they were praying, praying for Peter. And you know the story of how an angel comes and unlocks the doors and Peter walks out and he can't figure out what's going on. He's kind of puzzled by it. He thought first it was a dream, then realized no. And when he shows up at the house of the, uh, of the praying church, Mark opens the door and there's Peter and they can't believe it. Their prayers have been answered. This is the way in which the Lord operates. There are a lot of contemporary parallels of people that we could use as illustrations of how God works through prayer. You probably read the stories of George Mueller who opened up orphanages and oftentimes was short on resources to feed the kids that he was taking care of and he prayed and God would miraculously provide for his needs. Or Hudson Taylor who went to China and made the decision early on that he was going to simply trust God for the, the needs that he had, and he prayed, and God answered those prayers. So what James is trying to do here is encourage us to pray, to go to the Lord in prayer. Finally, he talks a little bit in verses 16 and verses 19 and 20 about the effectiveness of prayer. He says... The prayer will make you well. You will be healed. First, he talks about the idea of of being answered and being healed. The prayer of a righteous and powerful uh, uh, prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. He says in verse sixteen. Again, it's the idea of this persistence. We go back to the scriptures in Luke chapter eleven. We hear the story of the persistent widow who continually begged until she received what she was looking for, the Syrophoenician woman in Mark chapter 7. He says, whoever turns a sinner away from his error will save him from death and cover a multitude of sins. What a power prayer is. So as we wrap up this morning, three questions. How's your prayer life? When you're in trouble, is the first thing that comes to mind, I've got to get on my knees and pray. 
I've got to hear what the Lord has to say about this. Or, question number two, do you have need of prayer? I would trust that if you have need of prayer, you would be willing to talk to one of the elders, talk to myself, and offer and say, look, I need some help, I need some support, I need some prayer. And there is nothing, let me put it this way, there is nothing that you can share that would surprise the Lord and that we could not lift up in prayer. Authentic Christian living is built on a foundation of prayer. We talk about coming to Christ and trusting Him. We don't simply trust Him for our eternal salvation. We trust Him with the day-by-day stuff in our lives. That's authentic Christian living. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how thankful we are for your word, for the encouragement to pray. And through this time of transition here at Grace Point, I pray that we would understand how dependent we are upon you, not only in our personal lives, but corporately, seeking to hear your voice directing us, saying this is the way, walk in it. I pray, Father, that you would enable us to be a a loving community that lifts one another up in intercession and prayer, that we would be intimate with you and recognize the many gifts that you give us so that we could, in prayer, give thanks and praise and adore you and sing songs of praise because of who you are and what you're doing. Thank you, Father, for encouraging us with this word in Christ's name. Amen. May the peace of Christ go with you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you in the storm and bring you home rejoicing in all that he has shown you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.